Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. It is really easy to shut down a conversation by saying what you just said is problematic, like end of story, move on. There is no need to explain why something is problematic and actually grapple with it. I'm Jessica Bennett. And I'm Susie Bannekaram. This is In Retrospect, where we delve into cultural moments that shaped us. And that we just can't stop thinking about. Most of the time we'll be talking about the past, but sometimes we just want to talk about what's happening in the present. Okay, so Jess, can we talk about the word problematic, which I know is a pet peeve of yours? I do hate the word problematic. (laughs) Okay, tell us why. Uh, Okay, so here's the thing. When we started this podcast, we're looking at all of these things in the past, and it is so easy to just write them all off as quote-unquote problematic. Yes. And then kind of scold each other and move on. And yeah. so I actually wanted to create like a buzzer for this podcast where we couldn't <laughs> use the word problematic. Like we actually had to find a descriptive word to use, though I also recognize that I have used it. Yeah, it's like actually my favorite part because when you said that, when you were like, we're going to have a buzzer, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be the one who messes this up all the time. But actually, I just want to say for the record that you're the one who has said problematic multiple Are you times. Ta- you're actually tallying. Well, just because now every time you say it, I'm like, oh my God, she said problematic. And I didn't, so Okay, well yay. then we ask our producers to cut it. But anyway, but my point is, it has become very in vogue in the culture of late to dismiss things that are, I don't know, not politically correct, racist, sexist, sometimes just make you uncomfortable as... Wait, I'm going to pause for a second. Okay. I think it's different than what you're... I'm going to correct you about your own opinion, like a man would. (laughs) I think it's... I mean, obviously, we agree that racist and sexist things are bad. That's not what you're objecting to, really. What you're concerned about is that it just sort of, like, blends everything together. So something legitimately racist and something kind of, like, mildly offensive become the same thing. It kind of, like, flattens the discussion. Exactly. And it is really easy to shut down a conversation by saying... What you just said is problematic. 
Like, end of story, move on. There is no need to explain why something is problematic and actually grapple with it. Right. And there's no learning. Like, there's no way to say, oh, okay, I'm sorry. What about that was problematic? Let's correct it. Let's right. move on. Or was that really problematic, though? Like, was it really... Did it really make you uncomfortable? Why so? It just immediately shuts down conversation in a time when I feel like people are unable to talk to each other. Well, to me, it's like if something offends me, I'm going to tell you it's offensive. I'm, I, it's not, I don't actually use the word that often because it's not a pet peeve of mine, but because it feels like a nothing word. You know well, what I mean? Well, it is a nothing word. I mean, it's like that's a nothing the, word. What I see is the problem. Yes, <laughs> right. problematic is that it is a nothing word. It tells you nothing. It just shuts down whatever you are about to say and it makes the person who you're accusing of being problematic uncomfortable or the piece of I don't know art or whatever it might be and this is in the news right now as we're recording this because there's this big exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum oh, right. about Pablo Picasso it's curated oh, Pablo Matic. exactly it's curated <laughs> by Hannah Gadsby it's the 50th anniversary of his death and it's all about the ways that Picasso was problematic yada 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 his treatment of women and it's supposed to elevate these women artists in the process but it's basically being panned by critics who are saying, you know, it's almost doing the opposite of what it set out Well, to I think do. also because it's facile. Like the criticism has yes. been that it's not grappling with the real issues. It's just poking fun at it in a way that's actually like diminishing the woman's art that is also part of the exhibit. But I feel like we should take a step back for those who don't know where the word comes from or the context. Like what does problematic actually mean to you or do you think means in the zeitgeist? Well, so it's a word that comes from the French, actually, and it means something that has a problem, like the most basic format. But I think what it has come to mean in recent years is, and this is not Merriam-Webster, this is not Oxford, this is Urban <laughs> Dictionary that I'm about to quote to you because I actually think... We go high low here. We go Urban Dictionary. But it's become this catch-all for something you don't like but can't really describe or don't really want to be pressed to describe why. Or here are some of the other definitions. A code word for anything considered to be politically incorrect. I think that's pretty true. Also this one, LOL, a catch-all insult used to negatively describe something you don't like but can't describe why. Yeah, it does feel really muddy. Although, by the way, I just want to say that I think politically incorrect is a problematic thing to say. <laughs> it's also a vague thing to say. Yeah, I think it's vague. And also, I feel like it's the, it's become the same thing as woke. It's like lost mm, all meaning. Yes. It's just a way that you signal if you are conservative in some way that something is to be dismissed outright. Yes. And so that's why I don't like to use that either. Well, and I think using some of these terms has become a way of signaling who you align with, who you may be, who you don't want to align with. And it almost has become more performance than proactive, you know? Like we are labeling things problematic and thus shutting down any opportunity to engage with why they might be and what can be done. This kind of reminds me actually yeah. of something you said, which is we were talking about how they changed the lyrics in Little Mermaid, mm. which, I mean, mm -hmm. it honestly felt silly to me because the original lyrics were not offensive to me or problematic. But you said something interesting, which I really thought about, which is it allows Disney to do this sort of, for lack of a better term, whitewashing mm -hmm. of things, but it doesn't solve any real problems in this area at Disney. Like, what's happening on Disney's board? Let's focus on that, not on whether or not like right. the appropriate amount of consent is built into the word kiss the girl. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, that, like, that's the thing, too. It's like a lot of this language policing often fails to deal with the actual issue at hand and is more about these little linguistic ways that we can show that we are woke or whatever. 
everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This kind of reminds me, actually, of what's been going on with Elizabeth Gilbert. Have you been following oh, that? Oh, a little bit, yes. Yeah, so she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love. That's what she's sort of most famous for. Although, little known fact about her, she was also the person who wrote the article that became Coyote Ugly. Okay. Just in case you I were wondering. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a fun little detail about her. I did a interview with her when I was at ABC years and years ago. She was actually genuinely lovely, which I would not say about a lot of celebrities. Just FYI. Okay. And um, she recently pulled her latest book because it's set in Russia and a bunch of people responded by saying it was insensitive to the war in Ukraine. Did they use that word or did they say it was problematic? I don't know if they said problematic. I don't know what language they used, but there was this kind of like outpouring of concern, which is kind of weird because the book is set in Russia, but it's about a bunch of people who remove themselves from Russians. It's not celebrating like Russia today, which is so, but you know, she's actually a pretty sensitive person. So she just indefinitely withdrew the book. But I feel like that's happening with a lot of books. Like there are examples of this thing that happens where before a book is even released, people review bomb it on Goodreads. That's been like an ongoing problem. And there's a lot of concern about prejudging art. I feel like the thing I worry about is, and especially because of what we're thinking about on this podcast, is changing historical art to, like, sanitize it. Mm -hmm. Because the whole point of looking back on art is that it reflects the time it was in. And those times were often sexist and racist. And I don't think removing those things actually helps people get a real understanding of 
where we were in society at that time. I mean, it's complicated, is it? All of these things are complicated, which is why a word like problematic just dismisses the conversation. But yeah, I mean, look, statues are being removed. And in some cases, we are having discussions about why right. and what occurred at these places and who this character well, and was. And to me, that actually feels like a real thing. Like, yes. I'm like, I don't want to go to a school named after like a terrible person or live in a town that has this person. Right, the slave owner. A slave owner. Yes. But I think the different thing is removing language from a book. You know, this has actually happened a long time ago in, in 2011. They removed any of the racial slurs in Twain's books. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, I really understand that because kids read those books. Yeah. And so it's complicated. But on the other hand, I remember as a child reading those books and it was like one of the first times I think I encountered the N-word and okay. and just realizing how prevalent racism must have been in society. Like mm-hmm. for me, that was mm-hmm. a real learning moment yeah. about American history. And so I really worry about that because I think it's better to grapple with it than to pretend like that's not what was going on. And in a weird way, it feels like an inverse of what's going on in like Florida and Texas where yes. they're removing all these books about racism and sexism and transphobia and homophobia and they don't want kids to know how bad things were in this country like mm-hmm. civil they're removing books about civil rights yes. right yes and so in a weird way it's a circle that's ending up in the same place well and sometimes the you know performance or indication or what was the word you used earlier Signaling? Signaling. Yeah. <laughs> or I was like, what word did I use? What fascinating <laughs> thing did I say earlier? And in some cases, you know, the performance or the signaling almost feels so benign. Like, do you remember what happened recently with the Roald Dahl books? No. There were basically various passages considered to be oh, pro- right. quote unquote problematic right, right, and right. sensitive. And so they brought in a consulting firm, I believe, to change a bunch of the language. And what did they do? They changed language such as, one of the characters is no longer called fat. Instead, he is described as enormous. Uh, instead, I mean, is that better, though? Like, I feel like well, if someone called me enormous, thing. I wouldn't be less that's insulted. <laughs> instead of being called small men, Oompa Loompas are now small people. Okay, I guess they're <laughs> not. Like, they, they don't know their gender identity. But, like, re- do you, is this really helpful? Other things. Okay, the, remember the book The Witches and, of yeah. course, the movie. And there was a more recent movie that came out. And... As you might remember, the witches don't have hair. They're bald beneath their wigs, and they wear these wigs to pretend that they are not witches. But they added this line saying, there are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there's certainly (laughs) nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Like, it just feels like there are real problems and inequalities in the world, and is going back and changing this minutia in the work of Roald Dahl really helping anyone. I mean, I think also the thing to me that's interesting about this is that it's less instructive, I think. Like, if you're teaching kids and there's something in the book that needs to be discussed, you should discuss it and, like, actually deal with it. Which, Which, to be fair, like, not every school district is doing. But they are, like, doing this with some movies. Like, a good example of this is, like, with Gone with the Wind, which obviously is, there's a lot of slavery depicted in Gone with the Wind. It's a it's a very problematic movie. But you I, but you said why. <laughs> yeah. But, which I appreciate. Which I said why. <laughs> but I think also the way they handled it, instead of actually changing the movie, they've just added 
you know, a slate at the beginning that okay. explains to you why it reflects the time and sort of what the issues and why might they've be. Kept it in. Huh. And our producer Lauren was saying that she watches Disney movies with her kids and that that is also something they're doing in front of some of the Disney movies. To me, okay. that feels like giving people a warning or a prompt to have a discussion with their children or with each other about what they're watching. That feels to me like a better solution yeah. than just taking things away and pretending that we don't live in the society we live in, which still is steeped in racism, sexism, transphobia. Like, it's still steeped in all these issues, right? Wasn't there in The Little Mermaid something funny that they added about her voice? I mean, the whole premise of The Little Mermaid, of course, is that she is giving up her voice to, like, find Prince Charming. So arguably that in and of itself is quote-unquote problematic. Well, the thing is, it's it's like, the whole point is it's supposed to be empowering. Like, she's finding her voice, right? Right, So it's like a metaphor, but in the movie, I guess, in Poor Unfortunate Souls, which is, to be clear, sung by a villain, by Ursula, Ursula, who's a villain, she says some things about how, you know, people prefer for girls to be quiet. And I think they changed the lyrics because they were like, we don't want to make girls feel like they shouldn't talk. And it's like, Uh, I mean... Well, one, she's a villain, and two, that is actually That is what we expect of girls, (laughs) yes. And I mean, we shouldn't expect that of girls and girls yes. should be like hey mom like I feel like the ideal scenario is that you're watching that with your kid and your kid says to you like is that true and you correct it or you're watching with your kids and you say to your kid listen that is you know yeah. that yeah. is bullshit yeah. you know so but I feel like this kind of this idea of like these warnings kind of makes me think of how you feel about trigger warnings. so I feel like we should talk about it yeah I mean problematic is kind of like cousin to call out culture and maybe sibling to trigger warnings in a way. And we've discussed in putting together this podcast and figuring out how it's going to play, do we want to have trigger warnings at the top? You know, journalistically, I don't really believe in trigger warnings. We don't use them at the New York Times. The world is an extremely triggering place. And you're not going to get a trigger warning when you're out in the world. And you're probably going to be hard-pressed to find a safe space, too. Well, I think this is, like, an interesting point, because journalistically, I totally understand it. Like, I think as journalists, we're often talking about really difficult things, and I don't really know where to draw the line. Do we put in a trigger warning here but not here? Like, most of what we're talking about involves some kind of thing that you probably don't want to encounter. I mean, the news is hard to watch yeah. today. I mean, it's there about are... it's about bad things, right? Yes. It's about, like, war and famine and whatever it's about. But I feel a little more conflicted about the trigger warning thing, only because I feel like, especially on this podcast, we're going to talk about some, you know, tough things like sexual assault mm-hmm. and things that can feel really overwhelming if you're not expecting it. Mm-hmm. And I think you go to the Times expecting you know, a certain kind of journalism. That's interesting, yeah. But here, like when you're throwing on a podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where do you throw it on? Your yeah, my record player, yeah. I think, you know, it's a little different, right? You you want to kind of give people a sense of what they're about to get themselves into. Yep. So we've erred on the side of doing that here. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely been something we've had to discuss because we do want this to feel journalistic. And that is not common in places yeah. where... They take journalism very seriously. <laughs> well, I guess we don't take ourselves that seriously, so that works out in our favor. I mean, I think we want people to feel comfortable, of course, but it is an interesting point. Like, where do you, how do you decide what is triggering and what is not? Like, this language, I mean, I think, you know, I am a word person. Right. I am a student of words and I teach words. And so I am highly conscious and cognizant of the way we use language. And so terms like, trigger or problematic or even the way we talk about trauma these days or 
toxic. Uh, you yeah. know, it's like every relationship is toxic now. Yes. If you go on the internet, that is the impression you'll get. Everything's a red flag yeah. or a gray flag or whatever. You did a great piece on this in the Times. There's like this really complicated thing with trauma, which is like if everything is trauma, then you're sort of, again, there's like a flattening of, there's, of yes. real. There, it feels like there needs to be a different word. It's well, like there's you can't a term call called them all the same thing. Linguistic creep, which is this idea that you know, the meanings of words often change. But I think what can also happen is, like you said, this flattening where it comes to mean everything, small things, big things like problematic can span the scale of like something that made you feel mildly uncomfortable right. as a, personally, but yeah. may have not made someone else feel that way to something really egregious. And yeah. so are there more specific words we can use to stay? And I guess that's really my thing here. It's like, can we be specific? Well, and I think that is what we're trying to do here, right? Like to bring it back to the podcast, I feel like what we're really trying to do here is engage with things that might be considered problematic problematic, (laughs) and to explore them and to sort of look at them in the context of when they were created, not in a scolding way, but to sort of ask ourselves why it was the way it was then and sort of how we would think about it now. Learn from it. I mean, what what has changed? What can we learn from it? But what we're not doing is telling you not to engage or not to consume a thing. Like, I don't, I just don't feel like that's our place. No, I feel like we're telling you to consume things. Well, but it's the whole, like, (laughs) art versus artist thing. Like, can you consume, if you believe that Pablo Picasso is a misogynist, are you not allowed to consume his art? And that, you know, that's a complicated question. I mean, that's a whole other conversation because I feel like I really struggle with that in some cases. But we're going to punt and say, do what you want. We're not here to criticize. We're just here to talk through the issues. That makes sense. Yes, that makes sense to me. <laughs> Whether or not it makes sense to the audience, I guess we'll find out. Do you think we're going to get canceled for this episode? I just live in fear of that. So we'll see what happens. Great. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a rite of passage. So. Right, right, right. This is In Retrospect. Thanks for listening. Is there a cultural moment you can't stop thinking about and want us to explore in a future episode? Email us at inretropod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at inretropod. If you love this podcast, please rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. If you hate it, you can post nasty comments on our Instagram, which we may or may not delete. You can also find us on Instagram at Jessica Bennett and at SusieBNYC. Also check out Jessica's books, Feminist Fight Club, and this is 18. In Retrospect is a production of iHeart Podcasts and The Meteor. Lauren Hansen is our supervising producer. Derek Clements is our engineer and sound designer. Sharon Atiyah is our researcher and associate producer. Our executive producer from The Meteor is Cindy Levy. Our executive producers from iHeart are Anna Stumpf and Katrina Norvell. Our artwork is from Pentagram. Additional editing help from Mary Dew and Mike Coscarelli. Sound correction and mastering by Amanda Rose Smith. We are your hosts, Susie Banacarum and Jessica Bennett. We're also executive producers. For even more, check out inretropod.com. See you next week. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l e e s a dot com slash iHeart.
This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX, now playing, and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Hey there, parents and teachers. Are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids? Let me tell you about something that changed the game. Love and Logic. Love and Logic isn't just another parenting or teaching strategy. It's a mindset shift that empowers you to raise responsible, respectful kids while keeping your sanity intact. With Love and Logic, you'll learn practical techniques to set limits with empathy, give your kids the tools they need to make smart choices, and build relationships based on mutual respect and understanding. Love and Logic stands behind their methods with a one-year money-back guarantee. Try it out risk-free. If it doesn't change your life, we'll buy it back. Plus, you can get 10% off with code IHEART10. So if you're ready to say goodbye to power struggles and hello to peaceful, loving relationships with your kids, it's time to give Love and Logic a try. Visit their website or call today. Your sanity will thank you. Love and Logic, because parenting and teaching should be a joy, not a chore. Visit loveandlogic.com.